We are so glad that you joined us today. God wants to do so much in you and through you, and we would love to hear about it. Would you send us an email at shannon at hectorfirst.com to tell us your story? You can also go online and give to this ministry by going to hectorfirst.com and clicking the Give tab. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy the message. Thank you. I want to challenge you today to lean into what God has for you. You're not here by accident. If you're watching online, you're not watching by accident. Lean into what God has for you today. I believe God. I know God has a word for us today. He's got a word for you. We talk about sin. We we've been we've been in a in a series. We need to talk. I've touched on that. That those those words, you know, those three words. When you hear that from whether it's a a, a girlfriend or or a spouse or your mom or your dad, somebody or a teacher, somebody of authority or somebody that is important to your life, when they say we need to talk, usually followed by a not so good conversation. If we continue today's series about we need to talk, we need to talk about some things. We've talked about sin. We've we've talked about last week was a pretty was a pretty pretty tough subject. We 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 know that sin is sin, and sin is not pleasing to God, and sin brings separation from us and God, and we allow things to pull us away from our walk or our relationship with God. Sin is going to be the thing that keeps us from an eternity with our Heavenly Father. Sin is a pretty big deal, right? But the amazing thing about Scripture and the amazing thing about God that He did not leave us here today to deal with sin on our own. He didn't. He provided His Son, Jesus, as a sacrifice to bring condemnation against sin and to bring us salvation by dying on the cross. How do we deal with sin? How do you deal with sin in your life? And, and, and we, we've already touched on sin as, as being, you know, the little things that, that we look at as little. We've labeled things little like a lie or a little white lie, a little white lie and a lie that's still the same. It's a lie. We've talked about thieves, robbery. We've talked about sexual immorality. We've talked about, we've covered, we've covered it all, I think. We've labeled it all, and we may not have touched on every single one of them, but how do we deal with sin? Today, we're going to deal with, with some words that are probably, they're big words, Big words, and, and I've I, I been, been trying all week uh, in preparation for today. I have preached this sermon to myself. I've preached it to Pastor McKenzie. I've preached it to my wife. I've preached it to God. I've preached it to every pew that's in here. I want to make things clear. I want to make things understandable today. But we're going to, and I hope that it brings clarity to all of us. We're going to talk about things like justification or righteousness. We're going to talk about the wrath of, of God and God being just and what all that means and entails. But if I was to ask you what does or how do you deal with sin or how do we deal with sin personally? Have you ever heard, I ran across this story, and it's, it's, an, it's a true fact that this did, did happen and the last one of these was ever recorded was in the late 1800s, early 1800s. But have you ever heard of a sin eater? I, I began to read that, and I thought, what in the world is a sin eater? In, in England, uh, there was this belief, and it was the believer's of the church that had this belief. Now, before I say this, any of this, there is no biblical, it's not biblically sound, it's not biblically uh, acceptable, none of this, but believers believe 
that if somebody died early in their life or, or died abruptly without having a chance or an opportunity to confess their sins, then they would call upon a sin eater. And a sin eater was somebody in the community that was usually poor, and they would be paid by the family to sit over the grave of the deceased and eat bread and drink beer or drink wine, all with the thoughts and the belief that as they were doing so, they were consuming, absorbing the sins of the deceased, and then at that point, the deceased could live peaceably in heaven. Now, that's kind of far out there, right? Out there, pretty good, right? I'd never heard of anything such as this. And, but in this story, in this situation, it's, it's hard for us to understand or to comprehend, but what it's, it is implying that people, humans, you and I, we do have an understanding or we do have a knowledge that when something is done incorrectly or if we do something wrong, there has to be some kind of atonement. There has to be some way out of this situation. There's got to be some justification taking place. As I said, this practice is not biblically acceptable in any way. One, of the, one catch was this sin eater, when they agreed to do this, they agreed to be damned for eternity for themselves. A sin eater was somebody that was in need of something. In that moment, they became the atonement for those that had deceived. Now, in this story, it, the story of, was, was a man, he was a wealthy man. He was a, the last sin eater known on earth, and he, his three kids had gotten sick all in that one year, and they all three died. And under his belief, under his assumption, he believed that there was something wrong. There was something out of sorts, and whether it was the sin that he had committed, whether it was a, a curse upon himself or a curse upon his family or a curse upon the community, something had to happen and something needed to change the course of the future. And he willingly took the place of the sin eater for his family and for his community. Out of love, out of deep love, he wanted to consume everything at that moment, damn himself to hell in order that his family and his community could live in eternity in heaven. You see the correlation? Christ came as an atonement for our sin. He took it all upon himself for you and I, that we can have an opportunity to live in eternal happiness in heaven. You see, we can talk about sin, we can talk about wrath, we can talk about justification, we can talk about atonement, we can talk about righteousness, we can talk about all of these big terms, and this terminology can be very difficult, very hard to understand. But if you look at the crucifixion of Jesus, there was nothing easy about that as well. We, 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 we have the opportunity to watch films and, and uh uh, the passion of the Christ, and you know how brutal it was and how violent it was, and it's hard to look upon any of that because of the brutality, because of the violence that was placed upon him. The images that you see are something that, that's kind of hard to get out of your mind, and that, that, that to me is not even put a, it's not even a drop in the bucket in comparison to what really happened. I was I was studying this week and I was listening to some other preachers and they were they were talking about you know I mean they actually plucked his beard out in chunks. I mean reach up and grab a handful and just jerk it out and I'm thinking just one little hair pulled from my chin or pulled from my hair it will make your eyes water it'll make you cry make you yell with pain. And our Christ went through all of that for me. 
He went through all of that pain, all of that punishment for us, for our sin, that there had to be some type of justice made. I know it's difficult to understand justification or even righteousness and atonement. And we even, I've even thought this, or people have even asked me this question. If God is such a loving God, why would he, why would he allow Jesus, his own son, to come to earth and go through all of that? Why would he allow, why couldn't he just say the word out of love, change the course of time without requiring Jesus to die on the cross? Have you ever thought that? Have you been asked that question? If God's a good God, then why did this have to happen this way? Well, the answer is this. God is a just God. Now, how many of you have, been, have, have heard that phrase and thought, what does that mean? What does it mean for God to be a just God? God is just. How many of you heard that? How many of you did not understand or do not understand what that means? It's, it's, it can be, it can be, what's the word? It can be very daunting. It can be very intimidating to think, well, I just don't know what that means. And I'm not, I'm sure not going to ask, what does that mean? You see, we live, I'm going to explain this as we go. We live in a culture that seeks justice. Somebody does you wrong, you want it made right. Somebody hits you in your vehicle, you want justice, right? You want your car fixed, right? Somebody does your kid wrong at school, you want that situation fixed. You want justice for your kid. We live in a society and in a culture where justification is sought out. We want things made right. We want the situation to be justified. We want that moment or that, that event to be made right for us. You following me? Does that make sense? If we've been wronged, we want it made right. We can see this in, in our culture with, with, uh, uh, with movements such as uh, against police brutality and bias. We can see it against sexual abuse, many others. Tomorrow is Martin Luther King Day. And it's a, it's, it's a, it's a holiday that we, that we honor a man, a godly man, that sought, that led a movement for equality that led a movement in, in, in pushback against the world that was around them for equal rights for every person, black or white, doesn't matter your race, your language, doesn't matter either, equal rights. And he paid the price with his own life. He was killed for his belief, for his movement in few years ago, we were in D.C., and, and my favorite president is Abraham Lincoln. And it's, such a, it's, a, it's a moving experience to stand in front of, of his monument and to see this humongous statue or memorial of Abraham Lincoln. Size, you can see pictures. It doesn't do it justice. To walk into that hall and to see him sitting there in this stone figure and to have his words on, on, his, on the sides and on the walls and even go down into the little museum and, and experience that. And how Abraham Lincoln led a movement to end slavery. And he paid, his, paid the price with his life. And at that very same time, Place at the other end of the reflection pool is Martin Luther King's monument. It's two men fighting for the same thing, two men fighting for equality, fighting for something that they had beliefs in, and both of them paying the price with their life. 
tomorrow when we celebrate Martin Luther King Day, I hope that you can see the correlation between God the Father, Jesus the Son, and you and I in our quest or in our in our sought after as a relationship with God and eternal peace because we are a part of a movement. We're a part of a movement, and we're a part of a movement that is to tell the world about Jesus Christ. I know as Christians, sometimes we look at these type of movements as a fad or even as destructive behavior. But rather than seeing them as anything like that, we could look at these as an opportunity to share the love of God and the hope of peace that comes through Jesus Christ. We have an opportunity, instead of looking at things through tunnel vision and think, well, this is just wrong, they shouldn't be doing that, because we've thought it. Why don't they just stop doing that and let's just get on with our life? Jesus Christ led a movement when he was here on the face of this earth. He led a movement. He had, he had these 12 disciples, and besides those 12, he had in, within those 12, he had three that he really focused on. He says, I'm going away, but when I'm gone, you're going to have to lead. You're going to have to continue the movement. He's been gone for over 2,000 years, and you and I are still left with the responsibility and with the, with the joy of leading a movement, of spreading the good news, of spreading the hope. Being Christ followers means not condemning not looking down on, seeking a righteous relationship with him without sin. You may say, Pastor, I don't know how to do that. I can't do that. It's impossible. All things are possible through him. All things. Some say, well, God, if God's moral, if he's, he's, if he's a good God, if he's upright, and, and if he's holy in character, if all of these things describe God, how can he be a just God? Well, God is good, and God is morally upright, and he is holy, and for that, he has, he has to bring condemnation sin. He has to condemn sin. If he's to uphold good and pure and what's right, then he has to condemn what's wrong. Are you with me? All that makes sense. If God is a just God, that means he's, he's holy, that he's pure, that he's upright, he's moral. All these things fit God and in order for him to Condemns, I mean, he cannot approve of sin. I mean, he, it would be like if God's not, if, if God's all those things, then everything else is just fine and hunky-dory. Oh, you messed up. Oh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. It's okay. It's okay. If your kid lies to you or if your kid steals from you or you're, you're going, that kid, your child is going to, there's repercussions to the error or to the fault or to the sin, if you will, that they committed against you. They wronged you by lying to you. And if you want your child to grow up, and if your child messes up, if you want your child to be upright and moral, then you have to condemn what they've done wrong. They have to know that they messed up. There has to be a penalty for the sin. There has to be consequences. There has to be something paid. And what that usually meant for me growing up, there's a, there's a sound that, that I remember very vividly and and I remember getting home, and I remember my dad just very few times would take off his belt, and when that belt would go through them belt loops, top, 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 I knew. You know that sound? The sound that the consequences of my mistakes, that's associated with me. 
That's associated. It was my correction. It was my penalty because I messed up. If we want our society, if we want our our own family, our own kids to grow up and to be moral and to be and to be upright and of good character, then there has to be consequences when they mess up. The condemnation of sin is justice. The consequences of sin, the condemnation of sin is justice. But see, the wonder of God's grace is that he paid for the condemnation of sin himself through his son Jesus Christ on the cross. That's the wonder of God. Yes, I have consequences. I had consequences for my kids when they grew up. They knew what was right and what was wrong. We all know what's right and what's wrong. And we know that their consequences are going to follow when I mess up. But some of us still ask the question, why would God do something like that? Why would God allow something like that? Why? Because he loves us. How can God love us and still condemn us with our mistakes? Why? Romans 5 verse 8 says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were sinners. Paul uses the legal description of justification to describe what Jesus has done on the cross for us. And this brings us to our text, Romans chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn. Romans chapter 3, verse 22. Romans chapter 3, verse 22. And I want you to pay attention to what Paul writes here. We're going to read it. I'm going to read it in the, in the English uh, Standard Version. We're going to flip over, and I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation. If we have any questions, it better explains it. It better describes it. Verse chapter Romans 3, verse 22 says, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned. We, we've heard this our whole life. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption of that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as appropriation by his blood to receive, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier for the one who has faith in Jesus. In the New Living, it says this. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Everyone who believes, no matter who you are, for everyone has sinned and we fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in His grace, freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held, when he held back and did not punish those who had sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. 
common denominator of every situation is do you believe? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in the sacrifice that God allowed his son to come in order to be right with God, to be made righteous in his sight? We have to believe in him. We have to believe that he sent his son to die on the cross. How many of you know that saying, don't get righteous with me? What that means is don't don't you think you're right all the time. Righteous is to be made right in the sight of God. Righteousness. Paul uses this in Romans to describe justification. To describe what Jesus done and went through on the cross. Through the crucifixion, Christ took the penalty of our sin. He took the penalty of your sin. Of all humanity, he took it upon himself. He took the wrath that was on fallen man. And as a result, those those of us who place our faith in God become justified in the eyes of God. In praying this week, I felt the Lord say this right here. And I think you need to understand this. Maybe you need to write this down. And justification is not something done in or produced in you. Justification is not something that's done in or done or produced in you. But it is something that is declared over you. Justification is declared over you. It's declared over you when you give your life to Christ. When you say, I have messed up. We've all been there, right? We've all messed up. Scripture said, we just read it. For we have all sinned and we fall short of God's standard. If God's mark is here, if this is the the mark, if this this is the mark. We've, We've talked about this first week. We talked about this. If this is God's mark, right here, the bullseye. If this is the mark that we are striving to hit, and I keep hitting way over here, not here, I'm striving to hit the mark. I'm trying my best, trying my best to hit what God is asking of me. If I miss it, yes, it's hard. We talked about how close, if, if, if Susan's life, If her eternal salvation is depending on my walk with God, because I'm an example. If if she's holding the target and it's my job to hit the mark for her, the closer we are, the closer I am to God, the better chance I have of hitting the mark. But if I took this, what do you call it, dartboard, and I put it on the back wall. If I gave it to Mark, if I gave it to Randy, whoever I gave it to, and I stood way back here, that means I'm farther away from the mark. It's going to be more difficult for me to hit that. Lives are at stake. If God has a standard, if he has a mark that I need to strive, that we need to strive to hit, then it's depending on my walk and my relationship with God. We talked about last week about, about things that, that bind us. And we have chains and the sin that is in our life. And we had, we had rocks that represent the sins that we commit. Do we choose to keep them on ourselves or in our pocket? Or do we drop them into the hands of God? All the things that we do, our lives are depending on a justification from God. On a walk with God. How can I live? How can I hit the mark? And I live in a sinful world. How? How how many of you have asked yourself this question? How can I? God, it's just, I'm tired. I'm tired of doing everything for you. And yet, I don't feel like you're here. How many of you thought that? Do you hear my prayers? 
Do you hear what I've been praying? Don't you know I've, I've got family that's lost and without you? I'm praying for them. Where are you at? I've got this, this temptation that I fight every single day. Where are you at? Why are you not uh, alleviating the problem? Why are you not? We've asked ourselves that question many times about many different things. The spectrum is from one end to the other. Do I have the answers? No, I don't have all the answers. I just know that if I continue to put myself close to the mark, that he hears my prayers. But when I get frustrated, when I get aggravated, when I get tired, I begin to pull away from the mark that God's calling me, this standard that he's asked me to live by. And when I do that, you know what happens when I get away from that? I begin to complain. I begin to talk bad. Does it have to do with God sometimes? I don't know, get around a group of friends. It's very easily swayed the conversation to, well, I'm just, somebody, somebody says one word, discouragement, anxiety, depressed. But we automatically go there because I'm anxious. I'm depressed. I don't feel like there's any, any hope for me. But when God says, you know, if you'll stay close to the mark, when that, when that conversation gets pulled to depression or anxiety, you say, hey, you know what? You may be depressed, but let me tell you what the Word of God says. Romans chapter 1, verse 17 says, And the righteous shall live by faith. Faith. I can't see God, but I know he's there. I can't see the wind, but I can feel the effects of it. I can't see gravity, but I know that it's there because I'm still standing on earth and I'm not shooting up into the sky. I know God's there because his word says that if I will, if I will press on to the mark, even though what Scripture says, as Paul writes, that we have all sinned and we're going to fall short. But it will be because of my righteousness, because of my relationship with God, because God condemns sin, because God's moral, God's upright, that everything I do, when, when he saved me because he sent his son to die on the cross. He condemned my sin so I can live free and to know that, yes, and when I mess up and I still mess up, that I could go to the cross, I could go to God, and he says, you know what? The price has been paid. You are free. You are saved. Once again, you are in right relationship with me. Because when it comes down to it, that's what it all, that's all that matters is being in right relationship with God. not a once and done deal can't ask for forgiveness today and live like a hellion tomorrow and expect to make heaven your eternal home it's not going to happen there has to be some consequences there has to be the the penalties got to be paid and and the sacrifice sacrifice has been given but there is something that we have to do and that's a relationship putting our faith in him on a day-to-day basis Justification is not something that's done done or produced in you, but it is declared over you. Theologians describe, and this is, this is something I was sharing with Susan. She said, this is deep. You don't need to say this. But theologians, will, they, they have, a, they have a, a title for this. They describe Christ's sacrifice as penal substitutionary atonement. How many of you agree with Susan? Penal, because a penalty must be paid. Penalty must be paid for the sin. Substitutionary because Christ is the substitute sacrifice for our sin. In our place. 
Now, if it was left up to us, what if we didn't have Christ and we were still having to pay for our sins? How many of us would be alive today? None of us. But because it's a sacrifice, because of a substitute that said, he said, put me in, Daddy. I will take care of it for everybody. And he did. And the atonement was the sacrifice that pays for my sin. Was the sacrifice paid for your sin. In order for a person to be declared not guilty, to be justified... In our system, in our, in our justice system, in order for somebody to be declared not guilty, to be justified, and then to be in right standing with God, to be in right standing with our community. When you are declared justified, when you are declared in right standing with God, you have been cleansed from your sin, you have been put in a right relationship with God. In the, in, the, in the early, late 1400s, there was a, a German monk. And this monk was paralyzed. And he would sit day in and day out, sit there, and he would ponder on the holiness of God. How many of you have ever just thought of the holiness of God and how, how we cannot even think about getting to that level of holiness? Now, I think about it all the time. But this monk, he, he sat day in and day out paralyzed and he was thinking on the holiness of God and the sinfulness in his own self. He's a monk and he's calling himself or he's considering himself as a sinful person. And he said these things, had these thoughts. How could he as a sinner stand before God? Striving to be holy, striving to be everything that God's asked him to be. How many of us strive daily to, to, to be everything that God's asked us to be, to be holy, to hit the mark of God, the things that he's asked us to do that we fulfill them according to his word and according to his will. He had confessed all of his sins that he might have committed. How many of you prayed that prayer? How many of you pray it every night? God, if I've done anything today, please forgive me. Knowing that, that if in there, we know we can say, God, forgive me for saying that about that person that pulled out in front of me at Walmart today. Forgive me for, for those bad thoughts that I had when that person cut me off and took my parking spot. Forgive me, Lord, when I, when I went to the gas station and put gas in my vehicle and that price on that pump was too high and those thoughts that went through my head. We think about all these things, but in reality, we have those thoughts, right? We have those thoughts. That person that just thinks they're holier than thou, but I know what they do when they ain't at church. We have those thoughts. We have that mentality because we are human beings. But when we're trying and we're striving to hit the mark of God, those thoughts, those, those feelings begin to diminish and begin to fade away. But this monk, he would, he would think, God, forgive me of all the sins that I have possibly committed. I've prayed every day. I have worked at the church. I have served. I have done all these things. I have given of my sacrifice, of my offerings and my tithes. He had worked hard to please God. And be accepted by him. But when will he know if his hard work to earn salvation has paid off? That was his question. That was the, the thought that haunted him the most. How will I know if what I've done has been enough? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What, what I have, has everything that I've done, has it been enough? I wanted, uh, for an illustration this morning, I, want, I, was, I, was, going to, I was going to have a, a grave on the platform. 
I was going to bring in dirt, and then it decided to snow, and everything was mud, and, and, and that just didn't happen. I even went to a, a monument place in Russellville. They was going to loan me a, a tombstone to come in and, and set it on the platform. And I was going to, it would, it would be a, a very visual illustration to think of as we stand in place of a, of a grave, as, as, as it could possibly be us. At what moment? I know that there are things in life we can prepare for our, our departure if we have been diagnosed with a, with a sickness that is going to take our life. or Then there are times that, that you just don't know that death can come on quick. It can be in a car accident or it can be in, a, in, in, in any. You can just fill in the blanks. That death is going to come. Hebrews chapter, chapter 9 verse 27. And it says, and, it, and just as it is appointed to man once to die, after that, the judgment. When we are dead on this earth, when we have passed on to eternity. At that moment, the thoughts that you had, the, the intentions that you had. Null and void. It is up to that point until you draw your last breath, you have something to do for God. And if we worry about everything else, like, am I going to do enough? Am I doing enough? Am I going to go to church enough? Am I going to give to the church enough? Am I going to pay my tithes and offering and be, and be on time? Am I going to serve? Am I going to teach? Am I going to preach? Am I going to sing? Am I going to play? Am I going to lead? Am I going to do all these things? When we get to the grave or the rapture, however it happens, all of that, good intentions and the thoughts, it's too late. If we're concerned about those things, we're going to be too concerned about that instead of doing it. Instead of acting on the scripture. How will the monk know? He didn't. In reality, you don't. We know what scripture says. We know that in Romans 1.17, this is what helped this monk out in the late 1400s. He says, verse 117 of Romans says, The righteous shall live by faith. You put your faith in God, and you're walking in accordance to His Scripture and to His Word, then you will know what the Scripture says. You will know how to live. You will know what to do. You will know how to give. You will know if Christ died for you, so you can have eternal life, so that you can be made right in God's eyes and live by faith, then everything else we can do. We can do. If I am made right in the sight of God, if I have asked God to forgive me of my sins, then the price that the price has been made. Jesus dying on the cross, I am then justified. And in order for me to live a righteous life, at that moment, I am made right in the eyes of God. Is it hard? You better believe it. Daily. Those that are going to sing or pray, play or whatever this morning worship team or I know that sin is not easy to talk about and I know that man I prayed and prayed over this series before we even began because I knew I was God was asking me to say some very hard things But a lot of us walk around bound by sin. We walk around, people don't know. They can't see the chains that are binding us. 
We can't see the sin that's holding us back. And there may be somebody here this morning, you're watching online, there's something holding you back. And that very thing that's holding you back is the sin that blinds you. It could be a secret sin that nobody knows. It could be something that that is very out there in public. Yes, everybody knows. I mean, you can get on Facebook and see sin. But then there are those of us Christians. Christians that hide it pretty good. We hide sin. We hide it so well. Nobody knows. How do they hide it? It's just like this. Put them in our pockets. They'll never see this. This sin is when I'm by myself. They'll never see this one because... This lie to make me look real good, but you know what? Another lie will have to, you'll have to tell another lie to cover that lie. And we think about justification, and we think about we think about being righteous. I know that that's 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 a very hard thing to say, righteous, because we have we have twisted that word righteous to be something that is snooty. Turn their nose up. But to be righteous is to be everything within you trying to hit the mark of God. To be made right. Whether you want to think about it or not, we don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. keep me from burning for eternity in the lake of fire. I don't want it. I don't want it for you. And guess what? God doesn't want it for you either. He doesn't. If he did, then he wouldn't have sent his son Jesus to die. He loved you so much. Romans 5 says he loved you so much that he sent him anyway for you. Forgiveness is an act in which God brings a sinful person into a right relationship with God. This is why we worship. This is why we come to church. This is why we serve. Because we were justified and we are saved through the work of Him on the cross. If Die today, would you be like? 
not sinning or and just hope that somebody could do something for you to absorb your sins. It's already happened. Christ died on the cross. He took your sins. Amen. But we have to be in a right relationship with God. We know what's right and we know what's wrong. be in a right relationship with God. We have to be justified. In order to be justified, we have to ask for forgiveness. Striving to hit the mark. Would you stand with me all in this place this morning? If you're watching on online and you're at home, Righteous shall live by faith. It also says that he loved us so much that he allowed Jesus to die, his son, to take it upon himself for us so we can have eternal home and peace in heaven. As I said, sin's not something that we like to talk about. And I probably touched and I probably stepped on a lot of toes the last three Sundays. It's not me. you to think about your life, your eternity, the people that are in your in your own life, people that are depending on you to hit the mark, your kids, your spouse, your co-workers, they're depending on you. closer I stay, the closer you stay, they'll see something in you that they will desire. They will begin to believe that I need what he's got. I need what she's got. Because you're striving to hit the mark. You say, I've got time. What if you don't? doing. I like the way I live. I like the way I do things. Is it enough? I just need more time. We're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised another minute. It's time to be serious, to be very conscious about the future of each one of us. this morning, if you're watching online, please send us a message. Send us an email. If you're here today and God's dealing with you, as you step out from where you're standing, I'm not going to ask for heads to bow. I don't know. I just feel something this morning that God's doing something. If you're here this morning and God's dealing with you, I want you to just step out from where you are. Come and find a place of prayer. I'll meet you at the altar this morning. If you're watching online, send us a message. I'll be praying for you. I'll contact you. I'll come find you this week. I'll pray with you. But are you here this morning?
or would commit with me with everything that is within you to strive for more this week. You strive to hit the mark today, tomorrow, every day. Do something different. Do something that Scripture said that after after Christ had, had died, that his disciples, they turned the world upside down. I want to be known as somebody who turns the world upside down, don't you? Don't you? Because you hit the mark. You hit the mark. Pray with me, Father. I pray for one that is here this morning. I pray for those that are watching online. God, as we touch on difficult topics, big words, we know, God, that you are the God that we serve. We know, Lord, that you sent your son as the sacrificial lamb to die us. He took the weight of the world, the sin of the world, the wrath of the world upon himself. He offered himself. His blood was the atonement for our sins so that we can be in the right relationship with you. So God, I, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Forgive me and help me to see my mistakes and my mess-ups. I want to strive every day, Lord, to hit the mark. To be mindful of the sins that are around me so easily to distract me, to pull me away. God, help me to stay focused on you. Because lives are dependent on my life, my eternity is depending on me and my relationship with you. Thank you for sending Jesus. with something, you can make a commitment, you can do anything for a day. If you can't do it for a day, you start out little. I can do anything for a minute. I can do anything for five minutes. I can do anything for a half hour. I can do anything for a half a day. I can do anything for a day. Say, Pastor, I'm wasn't built in a day. We all know that saying. We all know the saying, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. One bite at a time. How do you, how do you become in right relationship with God? One day at a time. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about yesterday because that's gone. Don't worry about tomorrow because that's yet to come, but you worry about right now. Right now. You can do anything 
praying for you. I'm believing with you. And I believe in you, God. I believe in you as well. Remember, no connect groups tonight. Stay home. Stay healthy. We're praying for you that are watching, that are sick in quarantine. We pray for you. We're praying for our country. We're praying for our community. God's got this. God's got this. Don't think for a minute that he doesn't. He's got it. He's got you in the palm of his hand. Remember, you go nowhere by accident. Wherever you go, God is sending you. Wherever you are, God has placed you there. He has a purpose in which you are present. Christ who dwells in you has something to do through you. Believe this. Go in his grace. Go in his love. Go in his power. You be the one. God bless you, First Baptist. Have a great day.